such a good day in the house. Amen. I want to welcome you if you're new with us. Glad that you have found your way here. And uh, there's, there, I'm looking here, there's not that many chairs empty. And uh, let's just remember that as we go on to the weeks ahead of us. Pray that people will get here, they'll have a seat, and uh, we're keeping our eye on those things. I want to take a moment just honor our veterans and for all the families that have put it out there to protect our freedoms, our veterans in the armed forces of Canada. I had an uncle who died in World War II saving Holland. And I know that in my family, it was always a very, very, very huge moment when we paid attention to the people on Remembrance Day. And that was just, just uh, the other day. So can we just thank our veterans for their incredible serve? Thank you. It means a lot. Wow. And you know, I'm thinking that many of us are still feeling very full from last weekend, right? Uh, the Lord did so much in this place and in our lives so much. He poured out his presence in extraordinary ways. And there were a lot of people that got healed. I mean, we stopped trying to count. It was like between 100 and 200. So probably 150-ish. You know, right here in this room, several services, hands going up. I'm 80% healed and pressing in for more. I celebrate what Jesus did. He is still healing people daily, every hour, every moment. And we thank him for the way he's working through our lives. And you know, God spoke to us through Joaquin Evans from Bethel Austin, Samuel Robinson from Voice of Revival. If you missed those talks, maybe you couldn't get here, check them out on our YouTube channel. The whole services are up there for you to be blessed by. And uh, we know the people online were, were blessed as well. And uh, so we're just celebrating, you know, the Lord giving us um, another moment in his presence. And I feel like he revealed his glory, and we learned how to give him glory at a whole other level. Amen? And it's that, it's that great glory exchange, as Pastor Nate says, that as we are given glory by God, he reveals his glory, we then in turn give it back to him. We give him glory. And that cycle continues on and on. I mean, I was just smitten by so many things. The hunger level in our church through the roof when we had everybody up here worshiping, you know, on, on Sunday night, uh, there were so many people jumping. Joaquin Evans said to me, hey, your building's shaking. Like the floor was actually bouncing right here. And we we're just so amazed at what God is doing. I had a vision of people dancing in worship 10 years ago. And back then, nobody around here was dancing in worship. It, it was like, no, you don't do that in church. And we're like, no, we do that in church. We dance in the presence of the Lord. Such a great day. And the great glory exchange continues. And, you know, I really believe that we are in, in moments of great refreshing. And so I want to encourage you, stay hungry, right? After we've encountered the Lord like we did in the last seven days, we need to stay with a heart open for even more. Because if we camp where we are, we can't actually move on from there into the, the next thing he has for us. However, we should mark a moment. And so this last week at our all-staff huddle, we took some stones. I said, we're going to do what, you know, Joshua and the people did in uh, Joshua 3 and 4. We took some memorial stones and we laid them down together and said, we're marking this moment for our church, that something shifted for Kingdom City in the last seven days. And I'm sure you can feel it. And we're going to trust God for all that he wants to do through us. And we praise him for the way he's working. But I wanna to talk today about times of refreshing. So you can turn in your Bibles to Acts 3 at verse 11. 
And uh, I can't wait to read this passage for you. It is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. And it's really a powerful invitation to receive from Jesus an actual refreshing. And if you need that today, you're going to get it. (laughs) You're going to receive it. You're going to walk out of here so renewed, so refreshed by the presence of God. It's going to change your life forever. And so I want to pick it up here at verse 11. Words will be up on the screen. This is right after the healing of the lame man at the Temple Gate Beautiful. Here we go. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. We'll stop our reading there. Times of refreshing. I believe with all my heart we're living in a season of great times of refreshing and that God is pouring out his presence upon people in places. He's drawing his body together There are greater outpourings of his spirit that are happening and are on their way. And we're living in a moment of incredible awe and wonder, really. And we sang about that today. Uh, Sad thing is, I don't think all churches are getting in on this. I think some churches have just leveled off and said, you know, we're just going to focus on doing good things to people and try to love our neighbor, but we're not going to really encounter the refreshing presence of the Lord. Maybe their theology doesn't let them believe that. And and so my heart aches for the people that are stuck in places where there is no refreshing. But I want to ask the question, how do we enter into this moment of refreshment for ourselves? What is it that this passage in the Bible is calling you and I into? I got a couple things we're going to cover today. And the first one is this, if you're taking notes. We've got to embrace repentance. Well, there's a good word for today. 
we got to embrace repentance. Repentance is an awesome word. And it's an essential word. It's, it's a word that describes that whole response of someone who's changing their mind. It's the word metanoia in the original language. And it means to change your thinking. We sometimes call it an emotional response, and it can include that, but it's really primarily an attitude shift in the mind, and then in the will. And then, of course, the emotions are part of that. And repentance means that I'm going to get into alignment with what God is saying, with who God really is. I'm going to live my life in a way that he wants me to, and repentance is that step I take towards that. And, you know, I don't know if you you saw this, but it it says in the passage, it says, repent and be converted. And the word converted there means to turn around and go back to where you belong. Turn back. Head to where you're supposed to be. So we got metanoia, you know, change your mind. And then we got be converted, turn back. This is what Peter was saying to the people at that moment after the healing in front of the temple. And, and, and so many times, I think, we, we jump over repentance. And, and, and we ask ourselves, you know, are we kind of done with that? You know, do we still need to repent? Of course, repentance plays a role in our lives throughout our whole journey. We come into the kingdom through repentance. And then we live a lifestyle of repentance. And, you know, if true repentance is happening in your life, in my life, it means we're shedding off all the time, things that we should not be holding on to, things that will trip us, things that will soil our reputation or our testimony, things that will hold us in bondage. We repent, we change our thinking, and we turn to God. And, and when we do that, breakthrough happens all the time. So repentance to me is one of the best words in the Bible. I just absolutely love it. And when we're repenting properly, it will affect our social media posting. Um, It it will affect our view of sexuality. It will affect our priorities. I think that Peter on that day, when he started preaching, ran into a crowd of people who were maybe a little bit cynical, a little bit apprehensive about believing everything that he was saying. And it kind of reminds me of my experience. Because as as a young preacher... Um, here in the 90s, I, I came into the kingdom, and you know, very quickly on, there was this thing called the secret sensitivity movement. Anybody know what I'm talking about? People under the age of 40 say, I don't have a clue what you mean by that. The seeker sensitive movement hit lots of Bible-believing churches, and, and the idea went like this. We're not saving a lot of people, so let's change the message. Let's water it down. Let's not talk about hell. Let's not talk about sin. Let's not talk about the devil. You know, let's talk about nice things, like how to be happy, how to have a good life, how to make your kids turn out okay, and stuff like that. And the seeker-sensitive movement really avoided certain things in the scriptures. And I remember battling through that in my mind as, as a young pastor. I'm like, are we supposed to do this? And I'd read my Bible. I think, no, we can't give in to the seeker-sensitive movement, and we never did. There was pressure on all churches back then, and a lot of good Bible-believing churches actually went seeker-sensitive. And so they lowered the standard. They didn't talk about the cross. They didn't talk about the blood of Jesus. They didn't talk about denying yourself. It's like, hey, God loves you, and he's got a wonderful plan for your life, and here's some principles that can make you live well. 
Am I talking to anybody here? Do you remember that? Wave your hand if you're like, I remember that era. Yeah, a whole bunch of you. And, and so what happened was those churches that went into the seeker-sensitive movement, they got weak. And because they got weak, they are now woke. I'm not saying they've woken. I'm saying they're woke. Because when you compromise, when you actually lower what you're saying and teaching for the sake of reaching people, you will eventually embrace a consumeristic Christianity. You will shape your message for an audience that does not want to die to itself. That is not Christianity. So that happened for 20, 30 years. Now the weak churches have gone woke. And then there's also, and let me mention the holiness tradition churches, which, you know, God bless them in their original day were on fire, but then they hung on to certain traditions and so the idea was, unless you felt awful and full of shame and guilt on a Sunday and went home like that, that that really wasn't church. That was also another ditch. And we've probably got some survivors here from, from that era. So I want to propose to you that repentance is fresh air. <laughs> repentance is a good thing. Repentance means I change my mind. I get into alignment with what God is saying to me, and I turn to that proper direction. And I do that in my life as often as I need to. Jesus said this, repent and believe the good news. Right? Repent, change your thinking, and believe. Believe what? Believe that the kingdom of God has come near and that I can enter the kingdom of God. I can actually walk into that kingdom through Jesus and I can be restored to the Father. I can, be, I can be changed. I can become who I'm supposed to be. So Peter, he's dealing with some nominal people. He's dealing with people that probably went to synagogue often, went to temple fairly often, did the Jewish festivals. They grew up, you know, knowing that they're children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all that. But somehow, they had never seen the real thing. They were still hoping for a Messiah. Some probably were cynical, like he's never going to come. Like the prophets have been saying this for, you know, a thousand years, and we never see a Messiah show up. And then he finally shows up. Jesus shows up at just the right time. But they don't recognize him. They reject him. And so they never actually get to that place of repentance. This is the kind of thing that's going on that day when Peter was preaching. And this is the outline of his sermon. If you look at it, here's what he says. God sent Jesus, number one. Number two, you killed him. Number three, God raised him from the dead. Number four, you're in trouble. That's what he's saying. Peter's sermons would never make it in seeker-sensitive churches. They'd be like, no, you're gonna make sure that all the people never come back. But I really believe that we're living in a time when people are saying, please give it to me. Please give me the truth. Let, let me hear it. Let, let me hear it. Let me sort it out. Don't hide anything from me. And I really believe that this nominalistic culture that we're in is actually increasing. And, and I, I made a prediction in 2010. I remember saying it to myself, wrote it in a journal. Nominalism is now moving into evangelicalism. Ooh. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're just talking about, but <laughs> if you were raised evangelical, you know what I'm talking about. 2010, around 2010, there was a shift, and people started showing up like, well, I was raised in the church. I'm, I'm just automatically a Christian. They're like, what? 
And the nominalism went like this. I'm in name only. I'll attend church. I'll show up in church. But I'm not really trying to live an authentic life. I'm just going to go to heaven when, I'm di- when I die. Nominalism. In name only. No, no witness of the Spirit in their lives. And there's a good part to going to church. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But can I say this? We don't go to church for church. We actually don't. We go to church for God. We gather as the body for God. We worship God. We hear his word. We get strengthened. And we are the church. And there is that reciprocal blessing of unity in the spirit that comes to us. But our eyes are upon him. So Peter's preaching to nominalists, and he just, well, can I just say it bluntly? He he lets them have it. (laughs) He just lets them have it. Repentance is still at the front door of having a changed life. It is not changed. You cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven apart from repentance and faith. You can't. You're not grandfathered into the kingdom. You can't ride in on your parents' faith your whole life. There's a season where that God in his grace lets that work. Your children are holy, but at some point they must make their own decision, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so I just want to let you know, if you want to be saved, if you want to know that you will be in heaven forever and not in hell forever, then you must repent if you haven't. You must repent. I I repented. When I was 19 years of age, I received Jesus in a hotel room in Gastown, Vancouver. You would not believe what I looked like back then. Yeah. Let's just say I was a work in progress. Crocodile, Dundee, leather hat, stuff in my pocket in a plastic bag. You know? I'm like, I'm looking for fame and fortune. And it was a backslidden hippie from Glad Tidings Temple who led me to Jesus. And he just said it to me. He said, you need to receive Jesus. I said, he's like, you'll be in hell if you reject him. It's your decision. I went, oh yeah, right. Three days later, the conviction of God so penetrated my heart, I grabbed him. I said, I want to pray that prayer that you said I need to pray. And he said, okay, we'll do it in an hour. I'm like, no, now. So in a little hotel room in Gastown, I, I prayed to receive Jesus Christ. And my life was radically changed. The moment I prayed, I knew something shifted. I could feel the liquid love coming to my heart. I'm like, oh, I didn't know, God, you were that real. I was lost like you wouldn't believe. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's only one way to be saved. It is through Jesus Christ and faith in his death and resurrection. And once you're in the kingdom, once you've repented, you may need to repent after that. Not for entry, because you're already in, but to stay in alignment with God. To stay in sync with what his will is as revealed in his word. And so I got a couple things here that I think Christians should repent of if they need to. Okay, can I give them to you? You guys okay? All right, three things that we should repent of, especially aimed at Christians. Number one, for tolerating Jezebel. Number two, for clinging on to your tradition. And number three, not recognizing God's move, the movement of God. How many of you know the spirit of Jezebel is still at work in our, in our, in our culture? Oh man, 
the spirit of Jezebel talked about in 1 Kings and then Revelation chapter 2. That seduction spirit, that intimidation spirit that twists and distorts human sexuality so people are confused. Am I this? Am I that? Who am I? Spirit of Jezebel at work in so many places. Showing up in woke culture, in education. And those of you who are school teachers, I say God bless you. You're on the front lines. And we got to pray more for our School teachers, amen? You're on the front lines. Jezebel's spirit showing up in social media, arts, entertainment, showing up in politics. Really, Jezebel's spirit showing up everywhere. And Jezebel's spirit showing up in churches. I am so glad that around me are strong men and women in leadership who have locked arms together and said, it will not happen in this house. It's not going to happen. We will not tolerate Jezebel. We will not give in to the cultural view today of the distorted things that are happening with people's humanness. We believe that God is raising up biblical men and biblical women to be world changers. Also remember this, please remember this. Our heart is open to all people. We love every human being. There is no one that we would not want them to come and experience this. We want everybody to have access to the grace of God. Everybody's welcome here. We love you. We've all come from stuff. And so we're not saying that we're better or we deserve. No, we're just saying this is what the truth is. And we want you to experience it. This is a place where you can be loved no matter what you're struggling with. Jesus is there. He'll help. He'll, he'll strengthen. He'll do more than help. He'll transform. So clinging to tradition, you know, that's, that's one that I think hits a little bit more home to regular church folk, right? Because we like, you know, you know, there's a traditional side to the church. We have rhythms and routines, and they're good. But we cannot put too much meaning on them. Because if we do, we will rest in that and not in the revelation of God's voice, right? Which always supersedes tradition, right? Okay, so tradition can get, can get in the way. Let me give you a story about that from ancient times. Um, what's his name here? Jonathan Edwards, the, the leader of the First Great Awakening in Massachusetts. You know, he, he's a short little guy. He started preaching, and he would use full manuscripts and sit behind a pulpit. And one of his great sermons was, you can Google it, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It was like the best sermon of the day. Everybody was, you know, handing it around and, and hearing about it. And here's what Jonathan Edwards ran into. He ran into nominalism. Fourth generation Puritans who were sitting in, in congregations like ours, in their pews bought by their parents, and Edward said this, the children are out. They're having sex in the haylofts in the barns. They're having orgies as teenagers. The parents know about it and they're not doing anything. The parents are getting drunk. And there they are sitting in church on Sunday morning. And so he gives his famous sermon. And he basically says to them, you brood of vipers. <laughs> you know, he's like, he's just, he's just laying it out there. It, you need to repent because the cavernous collapse into hell is yours unless you repent. And it was like, wow, as a sermon. You should check it out. 
Check it out. Based on Amos 9, 1 to 10. And I really think that there's a new nominalism. I, I really think that we're seeing it in, in our day, and we're going to see more of it. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, took on religious nominalism in Matthew chapter 3. You can turn there. At verse 3, we have this amazing preacher, John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then it says, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and the region around with the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. They had probably never done that before, confessed their sins out loud. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut off, cut down, and thrown into the fire. Wow. That's an example of repentance preaching. It's great that you're coming. It's great that you want to get baptized but that tradition thing that the Pharisees held on to, John the Baptist just basically says, you gotta go to the root of the issue. I think that repentance has to come back. I think it's time for holiness in the house of the Lord. I think it's time for the fear of the Lord to consume us. And we get to a place where in our own lives, we welcome the Holy Spirit to be so involved in scrutinizing our motives, our attitudes, and our choices that we live in a conscious dependence upon his strength and his speaking. I know in my own life, the fire is getting hotter. And what I used to say was, okay, God is saying, yeah, you know, I think I'm gonna put some new light on that now. This, it would be better for you to let that go. And sometimes we need to repent of things that are not necessarily moral in nature, but more just, I don't know, they're more practical. Like what you do with your time. Like what you do with your, with your, with your energy. Like what you do with your weekends. Like what you do with your money. Like what you do with your friendships. Like there's things that God shows me. I go, I have to repent of that. I have to get into alignment with what the kingdom is saying to me in that area. And I love repenting. When we repent, God releases us from the burden of heaviness. God gives us grace to change. Let's go to the second point here. And it's this, expect refreshing. Someone say refreshing. Aren't you glad that there's refreshing in the presence of the Lord? Oh man. <laughs> the presence of the Lord here. The presence, the word means the face, the countenance, the eye of the Lord. I don't know if you were here on Sunday night, but I, I gave four words for God revealing his glory, and one was kabod, one was shekinah, one was cloud, and one was panim. Those are Old Testament 
type words. And uh, this word for presence matches panim, which means face of the Lord. So there's refreshing in the face of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, when his eye is upon you. And this refreshing, if you look at that word, it's a recovery of breath. It means a resuscitation occurs. It's a great word for revival, the word refreshing. And the idea is that you were once breathing and now you're no longer breathing and God resuscitates you and brings you back to life. It's like that verse in, oh, what is it? Ezekiel 37, verse five, I will put breath into you and make you come alive. The breath is his spirit. When I was 20 years old, I was working in a logging camp in Vancouver Island on the Nootka Sound by Gold River. I was a brand new Christian, been saved a year, and I'm out there in the logging camp, small camp, young guys there. I was a new guy, chokerman, that's the lowest level you can be in a logging camp. And I had a rig slinger named Blake. The rig slinger's job was to hit the button on the belt and stop the yarding machine from pulling on the cables. They would slacken the cables, we'd go into the logs, wrap cables, and then run out, then they'd hit the beeper buttons again. And my rig slinger, who was younger than me, Blake, sat in the bite. And the bite is where the cables go through the pulleys, and everything in the center of that is danger territory. We are trained to never sit in the bite when the cables are being pulled. Never, never, never. It's like taboo. It's like the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not sit in the bite. So we're there in week one, day four, three, four comes. Blake is sitting in the bite. He, he did it often. He had a big piece of grass coming out of his mouth, and he's like, he's kind of got this defiant look, like, I'm not scared of nothing. And we're like, Blake, get out of the bite. No, I'm not going to sit here. And on day four, it happened. A log was being pulled in. It was only about this big, which is small in BC. And it got pulled in, just like a big, long baseball bat, and it struck a stump, swung around and pivoted, and smacked him. And he flew 20 feet. Do you know how hard you have to be hit to fly 20 feet? So we hit the beepers, we stop it, the lines get slack, we go into the bite, and there's Blake, and he's convulsing, and he's shaking on the ground, and his eyes are rolling back in his head, and I'm like, what are we going to do? We've all been trained in first aid, but nobody knows what to do, you know what I mean? (laughs) It's like training out the window. There's somebody dying right now. There's blood coming out of his nose, and we're like, oh! So I'm a brand new Christian, so in front of like five guys, I say, oh Jesus, don't let him die and go to hell. And they all look at me like, (laughs) now we know who you really are. (laughs) Don't let him die and go to hell. That's all I could pray. Don't let him die and go to hell. Save him, Jesus. We still didn't know what to do. And you know what? Somebody's calling a helicopter in, and, and I hear a voice say to me, blow air into him. And I got down on my knees, and I, I tried to open his mouth, but his teeth were clenched because he was shaking like this so crazily. And then I heard another voice, the same voice said, blow through his nostrils. I'm like, okay, yeah, there's holes there. Forgot, right? <laughs> so I put my mouth right around his nose, his bloody nose, and I... <sighs> Blowing, and I'm doing that, and then finally, he starts sputtering. And after about another minute, he came back. 
He was resuscitated. His life was saved. I saw him in the Nanaimo shopping mall a month later, and he wouldn't even talk to me. <laughs> wouldn't even talk to me. I think that there's a lot of believers that are experiencing this. They need some resuscitation. They need some refreshing that comes from the face of the Lord, from the presence of the Lord. And I want to say to you, it is today that you can be refreshed. It is right now. God will breathe into you the fullness of his spirit. And whatever needs to be started to get right again and, and healthy again can get changed. You can be restored by the power of God's breath. It's the refreshing touch of his presence. It's available to you. And I know that sometimes tradition gets in the way. I don't think we have many here in, in our church, but we do have some that their tradition just gets in the way. They're like, yeah, I don't have a theology for the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, you should. It's in the Bible. Well, I wasn't raised that way. Well, your upbringing was deficient. Sorry. Being a nice Canadian, sorry, you know. <laughs> It's, it's just not complete. It was the same for me. I had the theology, but I had no experience till full on into 2014. And I'm like, oh, God, there's way more here about you than, than I realized. So I understand the power of tradition can sometimes be, you know, be in the way. And I want to say to you, don't you want what God has for you more than that? Isn't it just like your deepest desire I want him in me. I want him through me. I want him on me. I want him with me wherever I go. I want to be under the refreshing of the Lord's presence 24-7. So can I tell you about a great revival that happened in the 90s? You know, one of my goals in life is to teach our people that revival is not something new, but there's been many moments of revival. Can I tell you about the Pensacola Revival? We used to call it the Pepsi-Cola Revival. I almost got in a car and drove there in the 90s to Florida to see the Pepsi-Cola Revival. Here's what happened in 1995. On Father's Day, evangelist Steve Hill spoke at Brownsville Assembly of God near Pensacola. At the altar call, a thousand people streamed forward as the Holy Spirit moved on them. Their pastor, John Kilpatrick, fell down under the power of God and was overwhelmingly impacted for four days. The morning service, normally finishing at noon, lasted till 4 p.m. The evening service continued for another five and a half hours, so the church asked Steve Hill to stay. He canceled his appointments, continued with the nightly meetings, and relocated to live there. And he ministered there for many, many more years. John Kilpatrick, the pastor of the Brownsville Assembly of God Church, said this, corporate businessmen in expensive suits kneel and weep uncontrollably as they repent of secret sins. Drug addicts and prostitutes fall to the floor on their faces beside them to lie prostrate before God as they confess Jesus as Lord for the first time in their lives. Reserved elderly women and weary young mothers dance unashamedly before the Lord with joy. Amen to that. They have been forgiven. Young children see incredible visions of Jesus. Their face is a picture of divine delight framed by slender arms raised heavenward. And then they say this. 21 months of that continued and there were 470 revival services later. There were 100,000 people that committed their lives to Christ. And like 
1.6 million people who visited the Pensacola revival. I believe that we're living in times where we're going to hear more and more of these things happening right around us, right here, right in this region. You know what? God has put his finger on us. You know, if you were here last week and you're like, yeah, <laughs> we've been called to something more, God has put his finger on the people of this region. Not just our church, there's many. There's many, many, many hungry people in this region. And they're saying, God, we want the full visitation. We want to see you come in power. We want to see the display of your glory. We want to see a marvelous movement of Jesus rescuing souls out of darkness. We want to see more healings. I'm going to invite our worship team to come on up here as we wrap up our time. There's so much more we could cover in this passage here. But I want to lead us in a confession here that the church has said for quite a while. And it goes like this. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ is coming again. Can you just say that in your heart with me? Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ is coming again. And when you know that repentance is the doorway in, if you're not yet a believer, I would say to you, why not now? Or if you were raised in a Christian home and maybe a lot of that was good and valuable, but you never really authentically met Jesus, why not now? Why not today? And those of you online, there's some people online, there's some of you today, God is saying, this is the moment for you to come to me. This is the moment for you to receive me. And when you do that, it's like, oh, happy day. Because <laughs> he washes our sins away. And, you know, maybe we see, need to see today as a moment to come into alignment with God. Maybe you're, you've been a believer for a lot of years and you've walked even in steps of revival. Keep walking. Let the refreshing presence of the Lord come upon you again and again in increasing measure. And if there's any alignment to do, some repentance, align to him let him show you what that looks like maybe we need to do some repenting over work-life balance how we handle our money what we do with our sexuality how we're treating our spouse what our priorities are maybe we need to repent of nominalism I'm just showing up but I'm not really authentic whatever it is the Lord is ready to touch our hearts. And I want to say to those of you who are here, that you've never received Jesus yet. There's always some. I want to say this to you. God really loves you. He is, he is so in love with you. And he wants you to know him. He doesn't want you to feel like you don't belong. He wants you to, to be drawn into his mercy and grace so that you could encounter him, so that you could have your sins forgiven, so that you could be changed. And that choice is yours. You can make that choice for him and receive everything, salvation, healing, deliverance, hope, joy, peace, love. Or you can make the choice to not receive it. And if you do that, that's your choice. But I gotta say this to you, your sins are separating you from God. And if you were to die today, you would not be in heaven. You don't want that. We don't want that. Nobody wants that. 
So it's time to come to the Lord in a fresh way. And I, I just know that he is still wanting to give us more of himself. So I'm going to invite you to stand. Pastor Matt's just going to sing this song and take us a little further before we pray together. And I want to invite you to do what you need to do, to repent, to align, to receive refreshment. Maybe if you want, come on up to the front. You don't have to, but if you want to, just fill up the front space. Jesus right now. Jesus. 
Jesus, your name is power, breath and living water, such a marvelous mystery. faith and turn yourself over to the Lord. Maybe you were raised in a Christian home, maybe not, but you know that he's calling you and he's inviting you to trust him right now. And I want to invite you to, to just pray with me. Pray with me and say, Lord, I'm surrendering myself to you today. Can you do that? If, you're, if your heart is saying, I want to do that, then join me and say these words to him. Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross for me. All of my sins, thank you that you offer me forgiveness. I repent, Lord. I change my thinking. I turn towards you and I receive from you forgiveness by your shed blood. And I ask you to be my Lord and Savior and King. I need to make this moment count, Lord. I, I need to make it count. I'm driving a stake in the ground. I'm not waiting any longer. I'm not waiting for a better time. I'm saying today is my day. If you've prayed with me that prayer, would you just lift up your hand so I know there's some here. Yeah, all kinds of guys. Thank you, Jesus. Just keep it up there for a minute. Thank you. So, Lord, we pray for those who've raised their hands. We pray, God, that the witness of the Spirit would now come upon them. Let the Holy Spirit come upon them and touch them and fill them. Thank you, Jesus. And we bless them, Lord, as they start their journey with you. May they be fully, Lord, touched by your grace, your power, your mercy right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And there's some of us, we just need to shed off some tradition. We just need to lay it down. It's in the way. It was good to a point, but it really 
is keeping us from everything else that God has for us. If that's you, would you just put up your hand? Just say, that's me. I'm letting go of tradition. Tradition that keeps me. Lord, we bless those who are taking that step of faith right now. Strengthen them, Lord, as they take new ground. Give them freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we pray for the freedom of your presence to come. And now, Lord, we pray for the refreshing, wonderful touch of your presence. Fill every heart, every soul, those here, those watching. We pray, God, for an encounter with you that will take us deeper and deeper into your marvelous presence. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. Can we give Jesus our love and our affection? Thank you, Lord. It's a good day. God bless you guys. If you want to be prayed for, can I have some of our ministry team pop up here or staff or elders come on up and pray for anyone who needs it. We'll see you soon.